Hello, folks. I hope you're having a great day. My name is Dean Gashler, and I just recently retired from Walt Disney World as the Grand Marshal Coordinator. You're listening to Stories of the Magic. I hope you enjoy this. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 39 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we're back to our regular format for part one of my interview with Jonathan Chang, a former member of the Magic Kingdom Corps. If you weren't around Disneyland in the 1990s, you may never have heard of this group, though if you're familiar with Future Corps at Epcot, you know the concept. I don't hear this group talked about much, so I'm excited to get to share about them with you. Now, for some reason, there were some issues with the audio levels in this episode, so the volume is a bit irregular at times. I cleaned it up as much as I could, but it's still not where I'd like it to be. I'm sorry about that. In this episode, Jonathan talks about what he did at Disneyland, how he found out about the Magic Kingdom Corps and the auditions for it, the instrument that made the Corps unique, what a typical performance day was like, whether he had any favorite songs they performed, how they managed rehearsal times, exposing new audiences to drum and bugle corps music, how changes happening in the park affected the group. Bear in mind, 1990s, during the time they were going on, this was around the same time as Light Magic debuted, and the Tomorrowland reimagining, renovation, whatever you want to call it, was happening. The one song they tried and immediately pulled, how the end of the Magic Kingdom Corps' run came about, the relationship between the Magic Kingdom Corps and the Trash Can Trio, and if he'd given any thought to working at Disneyland before the opportunity to perform with the Corps arose. By the way, I played Dean Gashler's intro at the beginning of this episode because he has a new book out. The book he mentioned when he was on the show, I Led the Parade, Main Street Memories, is now available. You can get it on his website, deangashler.com. G-A-S-C-H-L-E-R DeanGashler.com and I'll link to that in the show notes. And now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend and then it's time to turn the page and start this story. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly Podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. 
But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at AnomalyPodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y Podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by JewelBeat.com And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. I've had a chance to interview a lot of interesting people on Stories of the Magic, and I've had a chance to make some new friends while doing that. But this is only my second time to interview somebody that I already knew by the time we got to this recording of the show. I had one several episodes back, which was a co-worker, and today I actually get to talk to somebody who was my band director when I was in high school, my senior year. And uh, I knew at the time that he was also a musician, but what I didn't know at the time is that he had been a part of the Magic Kingdom Corps that performed in Tomorrowland at Disneyland. And so now I get a chance to go back to somebody that I've known for a long time and get to talk about the Disney connection, which I'm really looking forward to. So, uh, Jonathan, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Thank you, Randy. Good to reconnect with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been too long, and for the sake of modesty, we won't talk about exactly how long it's been. We can do the math. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I'm sure as we talk, people might even figure it out a little bit here. All right, well, as we start out here, I kind of hinted at it there in the intro, but uh, tell me a little bit about how you got started at Disneyland and what you did there. I was a musician there. I was in a 12-piece drum and bugle corps, which is basically a little marching band, just brass players and uh, percussionists, drummers. there was three percussionists and uh, nine brass players. And I got started, uh, the Magic Kingdom course started in 92. And they didn't have auditions every year, but they had them often, almost every year. And actually at the beginning, after the first year, they did re-audition. And um, I didn't... Um, know that they were forming, and actually I was already starting to teach, so... Um, I, it's actually one of those small world stories. I had a, one of my best friends in high school was in the college band uh, at Florida, and in that college band he met uh, one of the drummers who ended up being in the Magic Kingdom Corps the first year, and his name was Frank, and he ended up Oh, actually, I ended up calling my old friend and said, hey, do you know anyone uh, who can help coach drums? And his, he mentioned that he knew this guy from the college band, and uh, I ended up calling him. We became friends. He ended up coaching with me, and he just kept on saying, hey, we got this group going at Disneyland. I'm in this group now, and they got auditions coming out. you got to try out, and that's kind of how I, I got into it, so... A little bit of a round circle, and and, and kind of found out about it, and tried out, and and made it. And actually, uh, my first experience was as a sub. They basically had a sub for every section, and then eventually 
actually that first year, uh, one of the baritone players who um, was in a regular spot ended up having some other opportunities and ended up leaving the group, and I stepped in. So uh, that was back in 93, and um, I was in the group until it was disbanded in 98, so six years total in the group. So it's kind of how I got started and kind of how long we lasted. Wow. Okay, so you were a baritone player then, right? Right. There were three baritones, three sopranos, which are basically like your trumpets, and then two contras, which are like your tubas. And then uh, we had a snare drummer, a tenor drum drummer, and um, one of our unique features was a triple bass drum player where they they stacked three bass drums on top of each other and hooked them up together and put them on a harness, and one player playing three bass drums. I remember that. Wow, I was always impressed by seeing that. <laughs> Did yeah. you ever get a chance to put that harness on and find out if it was awkward or anything? I mean, I I tried I've tried it a couple times and, you know, at first it was pretty heavy. Um eventually, you know, they modified it, got lighter drums and kind of, you know, obviously it wasn't something that uh Yamaha who, whose drums we used at the time had created for everyone or I mean, they still don't have you know, it was a home homemade thing. If you find them now, it's because someone built them. So um, eventually, it got much more manageable. And uh, by the time our run ended, but uh, yeah, not the lightest thing in the world, but but manageable. I can imagine. So, I having been in marching band, and, you know, in the drum line, and you know, especially that last year when I was playing quads, which I think. Tenor drums, quads, bass—it's basically the same thing, right? Right. It's been a while since I've been doing this, so you know, I would imagine that trying to do any kind of field or parade marching with that triple bass drum uh, probably would have been a challenge. Was he usually like kind of the last guy out, and the people in front of him gave him cues about what was coming in front of him so he wouldn't run into people or trip and fall and things like that? Well, I, the, the his. Sight lines were okay. That wasn't a problem, but he actually was usually the last guy out. And um, actually, at times, uh, what we would do is we would march out to the site, and then we'd also have another person carrying a um, uh, a stand for him. And then so there are parts of the show where he'd be able to rest his uh, drums on the stand. Actually, part part of the show um, on some of the pieces. They lay the, the tenor drum sideways, and jeez, um, was it a jet? Uh, I can't remember right now. One of the tunes, actually, all three drummers played on the bass drum together, and they did a little uh, do si do around, and and uh, it was really one of the more interesting parts uh, of the, for that featured the drums in our show. Um, so there were opportunities for him to get that weight off of his shoulders during the show. That's good. The rest of you didn't have that opportunity. I mean, uh, baritone is not a light instrument by any stretch. So, you know, you were you were pretty much stuck holding it the whole time while you were playing, right? Yeah, yeah, but um, it, it it wasn't too bad. Not not nearly as bad as that bass drum. The bass drummer definitely had the worst of it. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> so you said that you were in it for basically the whole run, ninety three to ninety eight. Yeah, they started in ninety two, so I just miss I just missed the first year. Okay. But you said you had to re-audition every year? Well, 
uh, not every year, but um, more often than not. I maybe had, including the first audition I was at, you know, there were probably maybe four auditions in, in during the run, three or four auditions, for sure three. Wow. Yeah, it was almost expected that at some point they were going to re-audition the group. Hmm. Did they do that just to make sure that people kept their standards of performance up, or you know, why would they do some you know do that if they they didn't have to rotate a spot out? Any idea? Well, uh, sometimes personnel change because you know, like in my in the case that I became one of the regular guys, you know, I mean. I left, or I mean, the the person who I replaced left. Part of it was for subs, you know, sometimes because of a, of a member leaving. And then uh, other reasons you might just have to conclude on your own. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, so what can you tell me about what a day, a performance day was like? A typical day was, we, we usually... Uh, performed starting in the afternoon. Actually, towards the beginning of the run, we, we'd start in the afternoon, uh, early afternoon, and you know, shortly after dinner time. Uh, towards the end of the run, we were more of a late afternoon, all the way up to midnight group. And and actually, for a teacher, and I was one of a few in the group that were that were teaching. Um, it was perfect because. They were part-time, which is just weekends, during the school year, um, off-season. And then during the season, you know, Christmas, spring break, and summer, basically, uh, we were full-time, which is, you know, five days a week. So around my schedule, I mean, yeah, I was busy five to seven days a week all year round, but uh, it fit the schedule perfectly. So as far as what we did every day, we basically did seven sets, uh, one every hour, each set lasting around 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes, and then, you know, I had the rest of the time to to relax. And then uh, well, one of our eight-hour days or one of those hours was, was off for dinner or lunch, depending on what time that was. So that was pretty much a, a typical day. And then we would mainly perform in Tomorrowland. Um, and uh, at times because of the certain things were happening at certain times, like the renovation of uh, Tomorrowland, I believe, was happening around when we were in it. We were moved up in front of the castle, and then if we were doing a late run, we'd usually do um, Main Street over by the train station for our last set. So primarily that area of the park, Tomorrowland and, and Main Street. Okay, so you were mostly in Tomorrowland, but at different times you kind of got to explore a little bit and get, have a little bit of a different view. That's nice. Yeah, and and one more other thing also, too, we did pre-parades also. So we would uh, march around 15 minutes before the parade began and marched around and kind of warm up and entertain the crowd that's been waiting around for the electrical parade that night or um, Light Magic, which opened uh, and had their run while we were there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because that was 97, summer of 97 for Light Magic. Yep. Wow. Hmm. Okay. Um, so with each set being about 15 or 20 minutes, that would be, what, maybe five songs or so? Actually, um, th- uh, usually four. Usually oh, okay. Four. Yeah. And, you know, the sets changed. We had, oh, geez, I don't know, maybe 
eight or nine tunes at a time that you know we'd we'd mix up and do different combinations kind of got you know in a routine for the most part but um sometimes we you know if, if we knew certain people were going to be there we'd, we'd you know they had requests or we really wanted to show off something we'd cater the set to to that okay yeah uh, did you have any favorite songs that you did favorites i don't think i really had any favorites I can no, nah, I don't think I really had any favorites. I just enjoyed performing period. Sure. Yeah. I can relate to that. <laughs> um now, some, as you described your day, it just occurs to me that one thing you didn't mention is rehearsal time. Did you guys have any rehearsal time together or did you use some of your off time for that? How that how did well, you manage that? Usually the rehearsal usually the rehearsal time occurred right after the audition. So they'd form the groups and then uh, we would rehearse. Oh, geez, I'd really have to go back and look at a calendar, but maybe uh, rehearse pretty consistently for between a month and two months. And then basically, once we got everything up and working, then uh, we go nonstop. You know, I mean, just after that, just be all performances and with no rehearsals. And then when we had our longer runs, when it wasn't so much like you know year to year. Um, maybe we we take off a little bit of time to add a tune or two to you know change things up a little bit. But um, but once now once we got up and running, we we pretty much just stayed out and performed. And then if there was you know something we wanted to tweak or needed or refine, maybe you know spend a little bit of time uh, before we went on out for a set and use some time backstage to practice a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine you had to be, and I'm sure you can't go into any detail on this, but you probably had to be pretty far backstage because Drum and Bugle Corps is not a quiet group. <laughs> and so to be able to practice and not be heard on stage, I would imagine you'd have to be back in like the the parade float warehouse or something kind of tucked way back so that you didn't have to worry about that. When we rehearsed with everyone, we actually, if, if you're a cast member or you remember or familiar with the area, this is pre downtown Disney and all that, we would uh, practice over in the west lot entrance. Over There's a rehearsal hall over there. That was before they built uh, the admin build, that nice green admin building and everything. All that stuff came up during our run, actually. So, But, um, yeah, the extensive rehearsals were actually even off off um, property, too. We, we actually rehearsed a couple times, a couple years, um, over at Fullerton College, so. Ah, okay. Yeah, for listeners who aren't from the Southern California area, Fullerton College is not very far away. It's what, maybe 15, 20 minutes or so from Disneyland? Yeah. Okay, so that'd be a convenient spot for everybody to get to. Good. I'm sure that you kind of attracted a a pretty consistent fan base of at least a portion of your your audience each time. This is right around the time where annual passes were starting to really gain in popularity too. So I can imagine annual pass holders would tend to show up to your shows fairly often. Right. We did, we definitely had some regulars there. There some that were really regular, like you could almost count on every week, and and others you know must be pass holders because they you know consistently pop up once or twice a week a month. You know so. Yeah, we we definitely had had a, a following, not not huge and, and 
completely fanatical, but uh, a good base to <laughs> cheer us on. Right. It's nice to have that seed group in the crowd that can help get the others going or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, now, when it comes to drum and bugle corps, at least from what I know of it, I think generally a lot of the people that get exposed to it uh, are people who are already marching band type of fans. Like, you know, you don't generally go to a drum corps international show uh, or something like that if you're not a marching band fan. But at Disneyland, you've got a whole big cross-section of people that are coming through, uh, some who are that, some who've probably never even heard that kind of music before. Uh, so did you ever have any kind of you know, guests there that you know, maybe at first didn't really understand what was happening or what kind of music they were hearing or something like that, but they, like, over the course of the set, maybe they got more into it? Uh, that, that you can that you saw as you were doing your performances, or even maybe came back later in the day yeah, after they'd well, heard you I once think, earlier. You know, for sure, you know, for the for just a casual park goer, I mean, you don't you don't have to be a fan of, of drum corps or marching band and enjoy us. I mean, what really attracted us? Well, usually our routine is when we go out on stage, we would do a big old loop. So with with uh, drum cadence going on. So that's going to start attracting you. And then when you start hearing the horns too, you know, and we start the show, it it's almost always attracted a crowd right away. So getting a crowd wasn't a problem. And then our, our uh, repertoire too is, was uh, really entertainment friendly. We had uh, a good mix. We had some drum core standards. Uh, we had some Disney standards. And we had some, you know, just all-around entertaining things. So, you know, you didn't need to know what the music was, and at the same time, there were definitely some pieces of music that were very familiar to to anybody who was watching whether you knew drum corps or marching band or not. So mm-hmm. I think that was one of, the, one of the nice attractions of our groups and kind of helped us have a nice long run there. Yeah, six years, seven years or so, that that is a really good run for a performing group uh, at the park. So now, so you were there, obviously, at the time that the Main Street Electrical Parade was ending and Light Magic was coming in, since you had mentioned uh, doing pre-parade for both of those. Uh, so there was, that, those were just some of the changes that were going on at the park at the time in, in the entertainment. Um, did you notice or uh, did, did any of the things that were happening in the park overall, like those the change in parades, did that affect you very much? Or was your group pretty self-contained and isolated from the stuff going on around? Well, we were effect, affected a little bit. Um, like I said, I mean, uh, actually... That was when they redid Tomorrowland. Mm-hmm. So we were actually, you know, relocated, and and so we did. That was we did a lot at that time. Did a lot of our shows in front of Tomorrowland, or not in front of Tomorrowland? Excuse me, in front of um, the castle. So you know, that was a time where I wouldn't say we were out of our element, but you know, with with our costuming, we were really geared towards Tomorrowland, but, um, you know, 
Tomorrowland, Main Street, and the Castle. There's a little bit of crossover there. So we were affected yeah. a little bit from that. And then um, actually towards the end of our run, too, uh, we, we kind of snuck uh, snuck in and stole the uh, Tomorrowland Terrace. Um, and then <laughs> that, that was a little bit of – and we did a little Star Wars show, stage show. And that was um, – Part of that, too, was because of the construction that was going on, and, and we weren't, I believe, the area that's in front of now Pizza Port. Back then, it was Mission to Mars wasn't accessible, so that was usually where we performed. So so I think that's where the idea of coming up with that show at Tomorrowland Terrace came up. Okay. I just did a quick YouTube search while you were mentioning that, and it's actually on YouTube. Yes, there's, there's several videos on YouTube of, of us. Yeah, I'll have to link to some of these in the show notes. This can be fun. <laughs> so you've got your six-year run there. Uh, and actually, come think of something else about the sets. You had mentioned having you know, that one kind of core group of songs that you pulled from. Did that change much year to year, or did it stay generally pretty solid and consistent throughout the time? I can only think of one piece that was ever we ever tried and put out and put away right away. Everything else we pretty much added or changed. We never really cut any pieces. So just as years went along, we actually just kept expanding a little bit. And um, yeah, so so it got tougher for the newer guys because they had more to learn than you know the guys at the very beginning. But um, we we kept it uh, pretty kept everything pretty much that we learned. Okay, can you tell me what the song was that you tried out and pulled almost immediately? Well, we did this melody of uh, Beach Boys melody that was uh, kind of California girlish. Uh huh. I wouldn't say it wasn't received well, but it just it just didn't click as well as uh, our other tunes. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I could see how those maybe wouldn't cross quite so well. So, and then you got to the end of not just your run, but the whole Magic Kingdom core in '98. And I'll, I'll tell you, I for one was very disappointed that. You know, Magic Kingdom Core wasn't there anymore because I enjoyed coming to to hear and see your shows. Uh, you know, whenever I would get a chance to. So, um, did they just kind of tell you guys at the end of a season we're not picking this back up, or kind of how did the end of this run come about? For as much as you can tell me. Um, yeah, they, we we got a heads up. It wasn't like you know, here's two weeks and you're out of here. They they actually you know compared to what I've heard about some other groups, they were r- really nice about letting us go. And um, you know when you compare even now you know you you compare um, live entertainment compared to you know let's see ninety four or so jeez over twenty years ago, you know it's it's a lot different. I think you know. There wasn't so much dollars and cents, literally made in into the decisions, you know, more than 20 years ago, as opposed to right around when we were uh, we were run during our run, because 
you know, they, I think a lot, a lot more decisions were, were made based on how much are you getting, how much value are you getting from <laughs> what we're putting out in, you know, in live entertainment. So, you know, especially if you look at the, the Christmas parade, if you look at the Christmas parade, you know, 30 years ago, and you look at the live entertainment that was in those parades back then, and you look at it, uh, what it is now, it's it's a lot different, you know, a lot fewer musicians, and that's just kind of the business end of things uh, that uh, I think predicated those decisions. So um, that's that's pretty much as far as I think they would, you know, tell us why they let us go. It wasn't obviously it wasn't because we, we couldn't perform, but right. Uh, so, we we weren't on. We were consider you know even though we put in a hefty amount of time, especially with you know the seasonal stuff, you know they they base the status on um, the off season. So we were part time. We didn't get benefits. So they saved a little there, but still at the same time you're talking about paying for a 12 piece group. So you know that is a little chunk of change. You know, a real small chunk of change for Disney, but still. <laughs> You know, when you're watching every penny, you know that's that's what how they make their decisions. So, right. And yeah. at that time in particular, they were very much doing that. It seems like right now they're actually kind of the pendulum swinging back a little bit more towards the live entertainment and maybe not quite looking quite so hard at the return on investment for every single person that's got a role at the park. Yeah, and, and and something, you know, that I didn't think about, you know, that you had mentioned earlier. I mean, back at that time, if you compare annual pass holders back then to what it is right now, boy, that's uh, a, a big difference, you know. So I'm sure they're uh, getting a little more at the gate than, than they were back then. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. So, you know, uh, and so that's why probably that they've, added you know, so many things. I mean, when they redid Disney California Adventure and reopened it June of last year, I think they added a total of five uh, five or six entertainment offerings, like live entertainment offerings uh, that they hadn't had up to that point. So it's definitely coming back around to some extent. Yeah, and so. again, if you look at the times, I mean, we were... Let go right or, right after California Adventure had had opened. You know, I wish they could have moved us over there. You know, maybe, but um, I think uh, definitely revenue was uh, in their minds, and, and having spent that big chunk of change on that new park, that uh, they were really looking at uh, where they can save on some money, or at least until they get a little more on their return. Yeah, exactly. And it only took them. 12 years or so to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but now they're doing well. So <laughs> maybe we can hope that something like the Magic Kingdom Corps returns. Because I, I remember, I don't remember if they overlapped with you guys or if they came in after what, but I remember there was the Trash Can Trio. They were there when we were there. Um, they started They started during our run. And um, yeah, we actually had some of those guys also uh as our subs too. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So, and, and Tom Float, you know, world renowned to to marching drummers. He was uh he was one of the 
Well, he instructed the drums for the core, but he actually started that group and performed in that group, the Trash Can Trio. Hmm. Interesting. Because I know, and obviously Walt Disney World is an entirely different animal than Disneyland, but they've still got uh, the name of the group changes several times throughout the year, depending on what's happening. But they've got basically their equivalent of the Trash Can Trio uh, that performs at Epcot okay. that's still going on. So, And I know for a while, I don't think they're still there, but they had Future Core. Right. Uh, I think in the Magic Kingdom, which was their equivalent of Magic Kingdom Core. Right. They they came first. We kind of followed it and followed them. A little slightly different con- concept. We were a little, we're a little smaller. I don't, I don't remember what they were. They were 16. They were also full-time. So, that, you know, they were also uh, full-time during the off-season. But um, definitely we were a lot more dynamic in, in our visuals and, and a, little, a little more high energy. And I think they, although they, they did a lot of entertaining, like Disney stuff too, they, they did a lot of uh, drum corps standards and marching band classics too. Okay, so they actually preceded you guys. Okay. Yeah, they were... They, Actually, by several years, too, from what I recall. Oh, yeah, I see. I've just decided to do a quick search, having thought of them. And they were from the end of 82 uh, to May of 06. Yeah, I remember. I know they were overlapped us because, again, we had uh, one of our guys ended up being in their group for for a little bit. So hmm. that's about as connected as we ever got. I, we, we were all hoping maybe one year they'd combine the two groups for uh, for DCI championships or something, but uh, no. That happened. would have been fun, even yeah, the, just as was, an exhibition group. Yeah. We, we actually did one local show. There was a drum corps show that they had at uh, Cal State Fullerton, and we performed, performed there once. But uh, that was the extent of our, our uh, connection with drum corps. Okay. Yeah, of all the things that I've regretted since high school, and there aren't a great many of them, but there's a few, and one of them is that I really didn't know much about drum corps or try very hard to get into it uh, until I'd aged out of the corps. You know, that's something I do wish that I had pursued. So it's good that you were able to, to do that. And you were also actually in drum corps, right? Like yes, in, I was in uh, the Blue Knights out of Colorado. Okay. Um, we won't get into too much drum corps talk because if any if people want to talk want us to talk drum corps, they can call or write in and tell me. And if so, then you know I'll have you back on and we'll just talk drum corps for a while. <laughs> I don't want to lose the Disney people if they're like drum what. <laughs> so, okay. Now, from the way you were describing how you got started, it kind of sounded like this opportunity just sort of was, was one that you kind of found out about through a friend of a friend who eventually became a friend, and then you kind of found out about it that way. But you weren't necessarily looking for, I want to work at Disneyland, and I, I want to be a musician there. It was just kind of something that came about, right? Right, Did I understand that? just okay. serendipity just kind of fell into my lap, yeah. Okay. Had you given any thought to working for Disney or at Disneyland before that? Not seriously. I mean, I think, especially if you live in Southern California and, you know, you think about 
part-time jobs as you know a younger person you think especially maybe when you're a younger teenager you think oh Disneyland would be a great place to to work you know but outside of that nothing no serious thought about working at Disney no okay <laughs> once you actually did work there did you ever think wow I wish I'd done this sooner or anything like that uh, I don't know what I would want to do outside of being a musician if I were at Disney for being a musician I definitely <laughs> enjoyed being an employee at Disney My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're, we're huge, huge Disneyland, Disneyland fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often-overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast at www. Talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make, make it, it a Mickey, Mickey day. day. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Jonathan Chang for being my guest and to you for listening. Be sure to listen to the next show for the second and final part of our conversation. If you've worked for the Walt Disney Company in any capacity and you'd like to share a positive story, Email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY anytime, 24 hours a day. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let me know and we'll talk. If you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic or had any special Disney experience you want to share, I'd love to hear from you too. Email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call that listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Before wrapping up, I have an announcement for you. As you may have heard me mention in the past here and on the Tales from the Mouse House podcast, I've been working very hard on my own book, Faith and the Magic Kingdom, and it's scheduled to be released in less than two months. In the meantime, though, I've got an Indiegogo campaign going to help pay for the publishing expenses. I've invested a lot of time, heart, sweat, and money into this project, but I need your help to bring it the rest of the way. I've got some great rewards I'm offering, and as little as $5 in support gets your name in the book. Pretty cool, right? Please go to storiesofthemagic.com slash faithmk, F-A-I-T-H, faithmk, as in Magic Kingdom. So, storiesofthemagic.com slash faithmk, or follow the link in the show notes for this episode to watch a video about me and the book, see what rewards I'm offering, and even read some of my early endorsements. I'll give you just one right now to get you started. 
Lee Cockrell, former Walt Disney World Executive Vice President and my guest on this show for episodes 33 and 34, said, No matter what your faith is, you will find faith and the Magic Kingdom interesting, educational, and inspirational. If that sounds intriguing to you, please go to storiesofthemagic.com slash faithmk or follow the link in the show notes for this episode and be a part of making this book a reality. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. The more reviews and ratings the show has, the better it shows up in lists and searches so it's easier for people to find. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. And while you're there, check out useful links for each episode in the show notes, too. Please like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Just tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in, too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com, for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.